Good morning. As we walk through this season together, this holiday season, we're trying to remember and celebrate some very specific things about Jesus and also some very specific things that tie into those things about him that are responsibilities that we have, things he's asked us to do, but they're also gifts. It all kind of swirls together, just like the Christmas story. There's, there's so much scary stuff and beautiful stuff and weird stuff and awesome stuff and cute stuff and powerful stuff. Everything in that whole story is just mind-blowing the more you think about it and the more you meditate on it. But that's exactly what we're trying to do because the Christmas story tells the story of the ultimate love incarnate, Jesus Christ himself. And it also tells us in some very clear ways about how he wants us to be love incarnate on this planet today. Throughout this series, we're using uh, this image here of a lamb superimposed on a lion to represent these, these big ideas. Throughout Scripture, lions are always used to represent power, things that are scary, things that are fearsome, things that you need to at least respect, if not absolutely live in terror of. Sometimes lions are used to refer to the devil, sometimes to Jesus, and everywhere in between. But it always, they represent these, these terrible things, these scary things, these things that create awe. All throughout the scripture, you also see lambs, way more than lions. There's a lot more lambs than lions throughout the scripture. And lambs represent a lot of things, but primarily they represent responsibility. They represent where God takes responsibility to take care of us. And in the Old Testament, God is the good shepherd. In the New Testament, it's Jesus. We are the lambs. But ultimately, and this is where we're going to end up today. I'm just giving you a preview, not just catching you up, but letting you know this is where it goes. Ultimately, the final image of Jesus that we're given at the end of the scriptures, at the end of the revelation in Revelation, we see him as the lamb. The lamb. It's an incredibly powerful image. And as we remember all these things together, we're focusing on the four titles that Isaiah said that the Messiah would have. Four things that he said. These were not just things that he would be called, but ways that we needed to call on him. These are things that, these are the ways that God wants us to interact with Jesus. These are the things he's offering to us. These are the things he's asking us to do, and they're also the things he's promising. This is who I am. This is how you can know me. These are things you can know. Last week, we focused on Wonderful Counselor. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Today, we're focusing on Mighty God, but before we do that, let's read Isaiah 9, 6 together. This, this prophecy was made almost 700 years before Jesus walked on the earth, and it's incredible, incredibly accurate and still, still relevant today. Let's read this together. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As our Wonderful Counselor, we see that Jesus has supernatural, miraculous ability to comfort us, to guide us, to advise us, to walk us through life. Not only is he the ultimate listening ear, the ultimate comforter in our darkest times, but he also is someone who can help us avoid many of them that we don't need to walk through. He's the one who can show us the way out that God promises. In real time, he helps us connect 
with God. The Holy Spirit as our comforter inside of us now can intercede on our behalf. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. There's so much beauty in that. We explored that last week. But today we're looking at the term mighty God. He will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. In Hebrew, the term that we translate Mighty God is often translated throughout the Old Testament as Lord Almighty or Almighty God or the Lord, the Mighty Lord. It also, when it's not specifically speaking of God himself, it could be used and often is to talk about military champions. It's kind of like the way we would use Lord, like we can say Lord Paul McCartney, for example. Uh, but, but we know when we're talking about the Lord, we know who we're talking about, right? It's the same idea, except they're saying when they say that the mighty God, the mighty warrior, the mighty Lord, they have in their mind, this is someone who is powerful. This is someone who is courageous. This is someone who has what it takes and is prone to take action on our behalf. This is someone who is a champion. They have everything they need to be a champion. They want to be a champion. They are a champion. That is who they are. This is a savior. This is a Christ. This is a Messiah. And not only just a person who can do this. This is the mighty God. This is the mighty savior, the mighty warrior, the mighty champion. This is God himself fighting on our behalf. This is the Lord God Almighty. I like Abraham Lincoln, if you haven't figured that one out. Um, Last week I told a cool story about him that tied in. Here's another one. You've probably heard this. If you've heard me speak very many times, you've probably heard this because this is just, this quote, this idea is so close to my heart and I believe it's close to God's as well. Uh, but, But once someone came to President Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War, and they asked him, Mr. President, do you believe that God is on the side of the North? And Abraham kind of respectfully replied, you know, that's a pretty good question. I get it. He had, depending on, you know, which version of the quote you're looking at, he had a few different things that he was saying. He was respectful to the person, but he turned it around the way God would. This is what his reply was. This is the last part and the most important part. He said, it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation be on the Lord's side. It is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation be on the Lord's side. Do you see the difference? It's not, is God going to bless me? If, if, if I jump through certain hoops, is God going to champion my cause? It's, what is God's cause? Because I want to be on that team. What is God fighting for? Because I want to support that. Which, which army is God, the mighty warrior, leading? I want to be there, and I want to be following him into battle. I want to follow him where he says to go. It's a similar idea to what we talked about last week where James McDonald, speaking of the wonderful counselor idea, but this is the same concept, the same idea of submission to God, total trust. Total humility, total commitment to him. Uh, James McDonald said, you can't call him wonderful counselor if you don't embrace his wisdom for your salvation, for your family, for your finances, for your future, for your everything. And this is the truth. There are all these beautiful lamb-flavored verses throughout the scripture that we love to quote. They're always 
in context of some sort. And almost always those contexts are kind of lion-flavored. There's some scary stuff. There's some responsibility stuff. There's some if-then stuff. There's some, you've got to remember, this is where I'm coming from. But don't forget, I really do love you. It's that kind of stuff. Let's look at just a couple this morning. These are, these are verses when I say lamb-flavored. I'm kind of, kind of joking there, but I'm serious. These are the ones that we love to put on mugs and T-shirts and posters, and they just sound great. And it sounds like God is this ultimate Santa Claus that just, you know, that he just, oh, I just love everybody. I just love you. That's it. That's the whole story. I just love you. That's really not what the Scriptures teach. I think you'll recognize some of these verses in the middle. I'm going to read from them. 1 Peter 5, 7 is one of these kind of verses. But it comes in the middle of 1 Peter chapter 5, especially verses 5 through 11, where Peter writes, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Here's the happy verse. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Sometimes that's translated, cast all your cares upon him for he careth for you. Or cast all your anxiety on him because he loves you. But again, still reading. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. And stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. And in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore and support and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Sometimes these seasons, they seem like They remind us of pain. They remind us of people that we've lost. They remind us that things aren't the same anymore. They remind us of of a lot of things and they're painful. And sometimes in those moments, all of us human beings are tempted to think that God is letting us down. If I feel pain, he must not really be good. If, If I feel like I'm suffering right now, he must not have the power I think he does. Didn't he promise that I could cast all my anxiety on him because he cares about me? Yes, but he didn't promise to take all the pain away. He promised to be with you. He promised to be in control even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it. Probably the most famous and most well-used lamb-flavored verse in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11. Listen to that one in context. This is what the Lord says. The promise, prophet Jeremiah, by the way, he is speaking in this context he is speaking to Israel after centuries of them being warned that if they don't repent they are going to be sent into exile another God is going to let another nation take them over he's given them chance after chance after chance after chance and now Jeremiah has a responsibility to tell them all the chances are used up this is it it's going to happen this is the country it's, going to, it's called Babylon. This is how it's going to go down. You're going to be there for 70 years. Here it is. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the things I've promised. And I will bring you home again. 
For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. It's my imaginary peaceful little mug with that verse on it. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And I will bring you home again to your own land. And again, these promises are real. The idea that God is on our side as well, when we are on his side is so clear. The idea that he wants to give us a future that is good is so real, and yet it always has to come, always, consistently throughout the scripture. It starts with us bowing before him. It starts with total submission and total trust in him. It starts with us understanding that he is a lion before we get what it means that he's a lamb. Isaiah 33, 21 says, The Lord will be our mighty one. That could be translated, the Lord Almighty, our champion, our military champion, same, same idea. The Lord will be our mighty one. He will be like a wide river of protection that no enemy can cross, that no enemy ship can sail upon. Zephaniah writes, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior, and he will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears, and he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. There's layers and layers in that verse. We're going to revisit that one before too much longer, God willing. But this morning, I just want you to see the hope in it. I want you to see that he's saying, I, the Lord, am promising to be with you. This idea of God incarnate, this idea of love incarnate, it's ultimately, ultimately in Jesus in, in a very unique way, it's ultimately fulfilled there. And yet it's also what he requires of us to do for each other. And it's something that he promises to do for us all the time. He is with us. Whether it seems like it or not, sometimes, no matter what, he has promised to be with us. And we've got to be able to switch our perspective and our expectations to see things God's way so that this can happen. I love Charlie Brown. Um, this is one of my all-time favorites, and I know that you've probably felt this way. And I share this with you this morning because, A, it's, I, I think it's funny, but also I, I, I know that a lot of us feel this way sometimes. Maybe you feel that way during the Christmas season. But Linus is sitting there talking to Charlie Brown, and he says, Life is rarely all one way, Charlie Brown. You win a few, and you lose a few. Charlie Brown says, Really? Gee, that'd be neat. And I don't know about you, but I, I've had mornings like that. I've had days like that. I've had weeks like that. I've had whole seasons of my life where I felt like that. Where is this God with me? Where is this victory? Where is this comfort? Where is this? And yet I look back and I see that he was there. And I'm pretty sure that all of you guys can sense the same thing. And, and we have, the longer we are faithful to God, the longer that we keep walking through it with him, trusting in that, acting on that, banking on that truth, the more we see that it is true. You can't know that a military, a military conqueror is able to lead you into victory unless when he says charge, you run the way he's running with your weapon out. Are you with me? 
This is how this works. Another Charlie Brown one. Lucy is anything but a wonderful counselor. But I love this too. She says, maybe I can put it another way. Life, Charlie Brown, is like a deck chair. Like a what? Have you ever been on a cruise ship? Passengers open up these canvas deck chairs so they can sit in the sun. Some people place their chairs facing the rear of the ship so they can see where they've been. Other people face their chairs forward. They want to see where they're going. On the cruise ship of life, Charlie Brown, which way is your deck chair facing? Charlie Brown says, I've never been able to get one unfolded. <laughs> How many have ever felt that way too? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's like, you got to look at it this way. I don't even know what you're talking about. What are we even looking at? But this is, what ha- this is why it's so important that we start where God starts. Start where he tells us to start. We've got to adjust our perspective and our expectations to him and the things that he is saying. Like Charlie Brown, so many of us get caught up in the daily frustrations of life that we start to believe three really dangerous lies. And if we believe these three lies, it cripples us and we miss everything. Even if we believe the truth as well, somehow on some level, but we're acting on those lies, we miss what it means that God is with us. We miss what it means that he is love incarnate and and we miss what could happen if we are love incarnate for others. If we believe these three lies, we miss the whole thing. Here are the three lies. Number one, we are all alone. Many of us really believe that. I'm the only one struggling with this sin. I'm the only one feeling this pain. I'm the only, only person who's ever felt what I'm feeling right now. I'm the only one who's ever struggled this way. I'm the only one without. Nobody really cares about me. If I asked for help, nobody would help. Very common lie that so many people believe, but it's a lie. Second thing, we can't get any better. We can't change. There's no way. This is who I am. I'm stuck. This is just me. There's nothing I could do about it. It's a lie. Third lie that many of us fall for and it cripples us is nothing else is going to change around me. No matter what I do, even if I tried, even if I trusted God, everybody else is not going to. Nothing else is going to work. Everything else, God's not going to rearrange anything around me. Everything else is still going to go bad. And again, God never promised that everything is going to go right by our definition of right. But the truths that he offers are these. Number one, when we submit to God, when we fully submit to him as our wonderful counselor, that is, we take his advice, we consistently go to him and bounce the ideas off of him, we consistently look at his word and pray and talk to other believers and we try to figure out what his advice is and then we follow it. When we approach him like that, we could pull through. I think you're actually really there. I'm going to bet on that. I'm going to act on that. These are the truths that we find out. Number one, we are not alone. God is with us, and he consistently puts other people in our lives if we're just open to seeing that. Number two, we can get better. Not only is that possible, that's his design. He not only wants to heal us and change us and make us different and transform, he wants to transform us into the likeness of Jesus himself over time. 
He wants to instantly change our identity, instantly change the direction of our life, instantly change who we are, instantly give us a completely different set of tools to use as we walk through life. And then he wants to actually, over time, change us. And number three, he can change whatever else needs to change. He has the power. He can change what we cannot. He's not always going to change the things we wish he would. He's not always going to change the things around us the way we hope he will. But he will change them and he can and he does know best. We just have to start with the idea that he is God. That he is the mighty God. He knows what he's doing and if he says charge, we charge. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, We use... God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Would you read that with me? This is powerful. This is huge. Let's read that together. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We have access, people. We have access to the power that created the universe. Do you believe that? I just asked a question. Nobody responded. Do you believe that we have access to the power that created the universe? Do you believe that we have access to the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? Then how dare we think that there's anything that we face as individuals or families or small groups or as a church that he can't handle. How dare we? He either is the mighty God, the almighty God, or he is not. We don't control God. One of the ways that we see this is he doesn't always heal. He's capable of healing miraculously, and he doesn't always. I've got loads of questions about that. We're going to revisit that on another day. There's no way we can go down that rabbit hole and even get close to all of the, all the answers we do have or some better questions that are down there or anything else. But here's what I do know. Even when God does heal miraculously, when he chooses to, the times that he does do the thing that we ask him and somebody is miraculously healed, it's always in the, it's still an illustration of how this works every time he does act miraculously whether it's healing or any other way it's always in this same context it's an illustration it's a picture of how he does all of this stuff that we're talking about right now when you see Naaman the Assyrian captain who was healed of leprosy in 2nd Kings chapter 5 he had to approach God with humility. He had to approach God with trust. He had to humble himself. And not only was, was that the whole point, being him dunking himself in a river over and over just to show that he was willing to humble himself, he was willing to obey even though he didn't understand. Not only was that going on, as we saw not too long ago, that was also a picture of baptism, which makes no sense from a human point of view. But we fight with mighty weapons, right? We don't fight with our weapons and we bust down the strongholds that, of human reasoning and arguments. Baptizing somebody, I wouldn't have made that up, but I didn't. 
Jesus did. And all the way back in this story, you see a picture. There's one of many, many, many throughout Scripture where God says, you know what, just do what I say and watch what happens. And so many of those involve water. This is one of those. And he was healed. I don't have answers for why everybody wasn't healed. Every leper wasn't healed. But Naaman was healed. Here's one we know for sure. Because he trusted in God enough that he obeyed him. He approached him with trust and humility. And he was miraculously healed. When Jesus healed the man by the pool in the New Testament, he asked him this haunting question. He said, would you like to get well? weird except it's not all that weird jesus once again was the same god who was in the old testament and the same god who is now and always will be he hasn't changed that much and he wasn't just asking him do you want your symptoms to go away he's saying do you actually want to get well Would you like to live in a world where you're not defined by being that beggar guy you get to make choices But suddenly that requires a whole lot of responsibility. Do you want to live in a world where you're a completely different person? Do you want to really, truly experience my power and everything change? Do you really want that? Because that's what I can offer you. And that's always much more important to Jesus than just physical healing. Do you want to get well? And I ask that to you this morning. Because if you want to approach the mighty God, he may very well, and he can give you a miraculous physical healing this morning. He can, and he very well may do some other kinds of miraculous things in your life and in your relationships. But what he wants more than anything is for you to come to him as the mighty God and just say, what do you want? Whatever that is, is what I'm going to do. Because you're the mighty God and I'm not. As we start to wrap up this morning, I'm going to look at a couple more pictures of lions and lambs. Like I said, this is where we're going to wrap up. Please pay attention because this is so beautiful, so powerful. It blows me away. I'm just, I, I, I love this. All the way back in Hosea, he, he is one of the, it's the first time that you see the idea of a lion of Judah mentioned. And it's not what you'd think. Listen to this. God says through Hosea in Hosea 5.14, I will be like a lion to Israel, like a strong young lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces. I will carry them off and no one will be left to rescue them. The first time you see this image, it's, it's one of judgment. It's the scary stuff, not the lamb stuff at all. But so much happens between what happened in the prophet Hosea's life and what happens at the end. And when we get to the end of Revelation, Revelation chapters 4 and 5. And if you don't know this, I'll just throw this out. Many of you do know this, but this is important, I think. Uh, in the original languages that we translate the Bible into, there isn't all the punctuation in the chapter titles and stuff. That's stuff we've added in over time. But what we call Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, that whole passage is this huge, big vision of God that John was able to see. And he's so blown away by the the person of God in this vision that he, he even just keeps referring to him as the one sitting on the throne. He doesn't know what else to say, it seems like. 
And then he sees these other amazing stuff. But in Revelation 4, this is a part that we sing about and we talk about quite a bit. We quote this quite a bit because this is where we see all the creatures bowing down to him. And all day long, day after day, verse 8, day and night, day, I'm sorry, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. By the way, that's the mighty God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And this happens constantly, constantly, except then there's a hush in heaven. And what we call chapter 5, it's all one big seamless dream, but boom, now there's a hush. And they see that the one sitting on the throne has a scroll. And everybody has a sense that we've got to know what's in this scroll. And, and there's nobody that's w- worthy to open it. And they start going, who's worthy? Who's worthy? Who could do it? Who could do this? And finally, this is what it says. One of those creatures that had been bowing down and then got silent when the scroll came out says to John, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Suddenly he redeems. In one statement, he redeems the, all the imagery of God's judgment and wrath and goodness and kindness and power and omnipresence and omnipotence and everything. He redeems it all. And he, he says, this is, you know who's worthy? The Messiah, the promised Christ, the promised Savior that actually showed up. Pretty sure you know him, John. You followed him around for three years. That guy, he's given him all these clues in that one little thing. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy. And because it's a dream, John starts looking around for a lion. Look what happens. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And he took the scroll, and they all fell down before the Lamb. And then, everybody who'd been singing to the one on the throne sings to the Lamb. You are worthy. They sing him a new song, and they sing the same old song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the mighty one, the mighty God who was and is and is to come. So what does all this mean to us this morning? Here's here's what I believe. I believe there are people here today that believe that they're all alone. There's no one that can save you. And I want you to know that's a lie. I want you to know that no matter where you're coming from, There's a bunch of us here who care about you if you give us a chance. But much more than that, there is a mighty God, a champion that you can't even fathom his power that is willing to fight for you. And you might feel that there is no way that you can change. The things that you're struggling with, the things that you're trying to give up, the things you're trying to start doing, the things that need to be different in your life if you even want to obey God. Maybe you think that just can't happen, but I'm here to tell you it can. We serve a mighty God, and he created you, and he loves you, and he has promised, and it is his design to change you. That's not just an option you have. That is his plan that is available for you this morning. And not only that, 
He can change stuff around you. And He can use you to change this stuff around you. Because He is a mighty God. And He has real power. And if you come to Him on His terms, you get access to that. That's what I invite you to do this morning. Whether you want to give your life to Him for the first time, come back to Him after being far away. If you want to come and just pray, have someone pray with you here, that's great. We're going to have somebody back at the back that will pray with you. would like to go back. If you want to just be alone and pray, that's okay too. If you want to join our church, join our fellowship. If you've got anything else that you need to do with God this morning, here is what I'm asking you to do. As the band comes, as we sing, as we worship together, I ask you, please come before the mighty God. Expect real change. Choose real change. Know that the lion of the tribe of Judah, know that the mighty God is saying, charge, follow him into battle, whatever he is leading you into this morning. Have the courage and the faith, the trust and the humility to just do it.